Hello, everybody. This is episode 106 of the War Chest Podcast. Today's guest is Ryan McIntosh. Welcome on, Ryan. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the War Chest Podcast. <laughs> thanks for coming on, man. So, Ryan, where are you from, man? Uh, originally from Rifle, Colorado, um, and then kind of all over now. Now, growing up in out, out in Colorado, what what kind of did you do? All kinds of outdoorsy activities. Yeah, I was always in sports, um, playing soccer, football, whatever it was with my brothers. Um, and and pretty much growing up, we lived in a town called Rifle, Colorado. So it was shooting guns and blowing shit up, and pretty much just normal man shit, I guess. <laughs> now, now, would you say those things were like a precursor to to joining the the military? Yeah, so actually my brother was um, an 0311 in Marine Corps in 2000 to 2004 and did the initial push into Fallujah. And so um, he's uh, seven years older than I am. So that was kind of like the precursor. But growing up, like shooting guns and just like just dumb shit that we used to do. I mean, it, it fed right into the, the life of an infantryman, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Now, is that something you've always wanted to do? Yeah, so my, like I said, my brother joined and then 9-11 happened and I saw what he did and all of his time and, and all the time that he served and it just, it motivated me and, and made me realize, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And then come, when it came time to, to turn 18 and I had a girlfriend at the time and college opportunities and, and sports and she didn't want me to join and then she ended up breaking up with me and then I went to college that was like right down the road. And then still didn't join, met my current wife and then did two years of college. And then I was finally like just fed up with college and just, I wanted to have a bigger purpose. And so serving was like always in my mind. And I went in a couple of different times to the Marine recruiter and the army recruiter and my brother was pissed off and he was out of town. And so I walked into the Marine recruiter and they said they were overstaffed at over 0311 in 2010. And so we're like, well, we'll give you an open contract. And I was like, uh, no, I, I know all about open contracts. I'm yeah, not big fuck yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And so he's my brother. Like that was the one, you know, saving grace that my brother gave me. But uh, I walked next door. He said, 11 Bravo Infantry, Airborne Ranger. And then they let me go. So they signed me up right then and there. So you got an option 40 contract right out of the gate? Yeah, so um, I did. And then I went to basic and then I went to airborne school, finished that. And then. My wife and I actually got married the like the family day before graduation. Mm. And then we found out that we were expecting our first child. And so I waived Ranger School to go to Colorado to deploy with 4th Infantry Division. That's wild how that decision, I mean, fuck, one yeah. little thing like that changes everything. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, it just, I always told my brother, like, he was like, well, if you're not going to be a Marine, you might as well do something good. Like you can't just be normal infantry. And I was like, well, you know, I, I want to stay in for a long time. I want to do Ranger. I want to do SF. Like I was kind of always my progression and literally seven months in the army. It all changed. It was crazy. Yeah. Now when you, when you do that and you wave the orders to go down range, I mean, you're pretty much, are these guys already down range or are they gearing up to go down range? So they, they were already down range and, as we you know, kind of talked about in the beginning, 2010 was a crazy year in the war in Afghanistan. And so they had, I think by the time that I had orders to 4th Infantry Division, I was a replacement and they'd already um, suffered, I think like 10 or 12 casualties 
oh, amputations, shit. singles, doubles, triples, and and a little bit of everything. And so I'll, I kind of knew what I was getting myself into, like in a general sense. Like obviously I signed it at the time of war and all the things, but I didn't know how severe it was and how crazy it was. Um, but yeah, it was. I was just a, a new boot filling a filling a slot. Now, did you feel like you got adequate training to actually be prepared to go downrange to Afghanistan in 2010? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I did, but at the same point, like you can't really, you can't really train for like finding landmines in the middle of like the trashiest part of the world. Like yeah. you just can't. So that was my job when I got there. Well, the night that I got there, our PL got hit and two of the, our other Joe's got hit in a, like a 24 hour overnight stint. And so when I got there, all the guys that had been there forever and already sent a ton of dudes home were like, you know what? Take pictures of your legs. Cause you probably won't have them at the end of the deployment. And I was like, Oh fuck. This is like, this is what I'm stepping oh, into right off the rip. Shit. Now, Ryan, let's and pause so, a little bit and let's go. Let's <laughs> backtrack. You, yeah. you're going down ranged. It's the, the bloody here, the war. You're an infantryman and yep. you we're expecting a child and you're just newly married. What was going through your head when you're about to fucking go to war? I don't know. It, like it didn't ever really, I guess didn't really quit because it was what I'd always wanted to do. And it was always like the back of my ma- mind. Like I knew that's what I was going to war for or to, you know, I signed up for. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, like all the times that I talked to my brother and like his initial push into Fallujah and like, it never really clicked like I was scared. Um, but to me, like when I got there, it was like, it was, I was just camping with my buddies. Like we had tents, we had cots, we had a TV, we had an Xbox. Like it wasn't as terrible as, you know, my brother's stint in Fallujah, you know, when they're in soft armor humvees yeah. and like no doors and just running and gunning <laughs> and dumb shit, you know, like, so I, it didn't ever really click. And it's still like, I'd still like, if I could, I'd go back right now, missing, missing my leg and everything. I'd go back and just like have fun. I went back in 2013 and enjoyed it. And like, it's, I don't know. It's still like, I feel like I didn't get enough of it. Cause I was only in Afghanistan for two months and like every day going on a mission or tower guard or whatever. But I still feel like I just had so much more time left in me to like, you know, be over there. But yeah, and it's such a wild thing too, especially uh, going downrange as a private. You're going to be expected to do a fuck ton more than the NCO or everybody else because you're going to have to go pull tower guard, go do KP duty, do do whatever the fuck they need. So you're constantly like I tell people like when you touch down, and I'm like fuck, I got to be here for a year. When every day's a Monday, there's no we get the weekend off, we get this day off. You yeah. are fucking going twenty four seven. They call you QRF, all kinds of wild shit. Now, Ryan, was it, um, did they hate you when you got there? Cause I know like, you know, <laughs> Oh my, well, like I said, right. So like our PL got hit and two of our Joes got hit the night before. And so like everybody was already like pissed off. Everybody was angry and like, it was just hell. And so we got there and it, his name was, uh, Sergeant Tyree and I'm still good friends with him, but man, he made me just run from tower to tower. Cause we were in a cop, like we didn't have any, like anything crazy. So it wasn't like big. I mean, it, from one end of the cop to through like our helipad and to the other end, it was like maybe four, 450 meters. Like, and so he'd make me run back and forth from tower to tower to check ammo and tell me what 
tell them what kind of ammo we had and like all sorts of dumb shit. And I was a private, I was in for you know basic training in airborne school. And then they're like, well, what kind of round is this? And what round, you know, what, what's the 240 Bravo, you know, um, tracer count between, you know, regular rounds. And I was like, Fuck. like, I was just like, no matter what I say, I'm just going to say the wrong thing and I'm going to have to go check again. So it doesn't matter. Like growing up in sports and having two older brothers and like, it was kind of always like, whatever I know I'm going to get fucked with. So I might as well just take it. And, you know, by the end of it, maybe they'll figure out that I'm not a bad guy and I'm just here to work and, and get shit done. And so I just kind of kept my mouth shut and did what I was told. And it was easy. Like I didn't, I wasn't too worried about it. What, uh, what position did they assign you as far as, uh, in your, in your weapons team or in your, uh, in uh your, your... I was the minesweeper. So everywhere we went was range file. So brand new private, just out of airborne school, just in country in charge of leading the entire, you know, element of movement by myself with a minesweeper after I think I probably had like two days of training. And so that's just running in the front with a stupid minesweeper, yeah. just like checking everywhere you go and like getting down on your hands and knees and probing the dirt and just like just dumb shit. And it's so dirty over there. Like, oh, wow. I found some trash from, you know, old MREs. Like, oh, great. Thanks. So it just, that was what I did every single day. But like the day that I got injured, like we could get into that, but that was, I wasn't even doing my normal job. I was just in the middle of the Ranger file mm. and I stepped on a landmine. Like it was like, it didn't matter what I was doing at some point. It was going to be my time or whatever. Yeah. So now to back up a little bit, can you paint the picture us for the environment that you're in? Uh, what province was this in? Uh, just, just to better paint a picture for the listeners. Yeah, so we were in the Kandahar province, right off the Argandab River Valley. Um, pomegranate orchards um, was a pretty much our, our mainstay. Um, flooded orchard fields um, pretty much was what we walked through every day. Our cough, like I said, it was probably 450, 500 meters in length and maybe 250 in width. Like, it was pretty small. Um, and then it was covered in, like, it was wrapped around with pomegranate orchards. Like, there was no standoff. There was no distance. Um, and so it, like, it was hell because you go to the tower garden, you got thermals and you can't hear anything. Like you can't see anything cause you, there's no standoff. It's all just tall ass trees that are thick. And so you can't see anything, um, until the CBs came in. Cause we had a pineapple grenade get chucked in one of our towers and one of our dudes getting messed up because there was no standoff. Like you couldn't even see the guy he walked right up to the tower and chucked the grenade in. Shit. Um, and so the CBs came in and just like leveled everything for like 200 me meters around. Um, I think they ran over like 15 landmines just like in that track of land. And just it's right outside of our like perfect for the enemy because they have all this cover concealment. So they could just be fucking laying these landmines all over the damn place. Yeah. Oh, yep. So they'd come in off their they'd come in off the riverbed and then like take over like a farming community and make the farmers stay home and then just go out like in their normal garb and just like plant IEDs all day, acting like their farmer digging trenches and shit. Yeah. And we were none the wiser because they're just out there working every day. It always blows my mind. Um, especially in Afghanistan, the placement of these, these cops, they're always at the most fucked up, crazy wild places that yeah. any person with any sense of fucking any wit about them can be like, Hey, this isn't a tactically, sound spot 
Like, why the fuck are we it's here? It's like some lost lieutenant is like, hey, this is a good spot right here. And they just fucking like double down because they're a lieutenant. They're like, no, we're doing it right yeah. here. No, West Point taught me this is the spot. <laughs> like, fuck me, we're dead. Like, all of the wildest, crazy stories that I've had on this podcast is always the cop is always in the shittiest spot. Like, where it be at the fucking bottom of a... Uh, a bowl and just the Taliban just lighting them up from the mountaintops or like you guys with these trees around yeah. and you can't even see anybody till they're right in front of your face. Yeah, it's crazy. And we were like two, two Hescos tall. So like we weren't even like a crazy tall perimeter. Um, and then it, yeah, it was just shitty situation essentially. Now when you get there and you're out there, uh, what was your guys' task and purpose during this time? I know it was uh, Hearts and Minds like whole campaign type deal. So were you guys doing yep. key leader engagements, going out on patrol daily? Yeah, key leader engagements. Um, you know, presence patrols, just like showing our presence. You know, walking around. Um, that was that was nine to five. Was just doing those stupid patrols. We did have one where we did like a Taliban lockdown and we set perimeters and like push people towards our, our checkpoints and, and did the hide scanning and all that kind of stuff. I think that was like my first weekend and like our EOD guy, like this is the craziest thing. He knelt, he was on top of a roof of one of the buildings and knelt down and knelt right on top of a landmine. Like who puts a landmine in the top what? of a roof, bro? He knelt right on top of it, like straight on his kneecap and like kept his leg and shit. But like, it was, it was wild. Like that was my first week. <laughs> so that happened. And then like, obviously all the, like the non Taliban would get injured and then they'd come running up and you'd have to like help Render them eight. and assist. And like, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, bro, I know you were just out there planning a landmine or like you walked over your own landmine and now I have to help you. It's so it like, it frustrates you. The same but. shit happened to us. The guy was uh, like booby trap in the mountain and he's fucking got weird. Boom. And this guy comes running down the hill and his face is all peppered. And then, of course, we yeah. had to help him per the fucking Geneva Convention. But we're like, we, Mike Squadio was pissed. He grabs him. like, we knew, you, we know you're fucking around. We know you're fucking doing some shady shit. That doesn't just yeah. randomly happen. Yeah. You like, you just don't randomly find one. Like, oh, well, I'm going to bring it to the Americans and get a bunch of money. Like, no, you're fucking with it or <laughs> planning it. And you, you messed up. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Now, back to the, uh, you being a point man and, holding uh the um the uh fucking detector the metal detector that shit yeah. I, I i did the same thing i was a point man and it was it's and everybody's ducks in a row it's fucking terrifying because yeah because like if if you don't get hit and you fuck up and you take a step forward and the person behind you gets hit it's a lose lose like type scenario yeah and that that was the craziest thing and like to my my team lead he was always really cool and we're still pretty close, but he was, he was like, Oh, you know, Mac, like you, whatever you feel comfortable with, like you're in charge. Like if you don't want to go there, like we don't have to go there. Like you, you lead movement or whatever. And so he was like, you know, but I'm trusting you with my life and the guy's lives or whatever. And so like, I took it dead serious and you get a lot of guys that are complacent and they swing it, you know, from their hip to their hip. And then it, instead of going a straight line where you get the entire, you know, three foot radius, it ends up being like a, a foot radius because yeah. you just raise that level. And so it doesn't read right. And so I was pretty serious about it. And he like finally the week before, cause they went for a rest and refit and I'd only been there for two months. So I didn't go. Um, he, before he left, he's like, Mac, when we get back, we're going to Pierpa mall and you're leading the movement. And it was like the shittiest, you know, village that we had to go through. 
um, no, it wasn't Pierre, Pierre Pamal. It was a uh, gel run. Um, and he goes, Mac, you're, you're going to lead that movement. Cause he, he was pretty timid and we like did some easier presence patrols and stuff like that. So I could get my feet wet essentially. And like when they left, he's like, Mac, you're a, uh, your lead element. And we're going to, we're going to, you know, take that on when I get back. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm excited, you know, but at the same time, like I was happy cause like he, he finally got the trust yeah. for me to lead the movement into like the shittiest fucking environment. And it's, it's so, a lot of uh weight on your shoulders to go and knowing that yeah. you literally, everybody's lives is in your hand and operating that, that, uh, that mind detector correctly. Cause it's a weird thing. Like, like me too. I got fucking thrown in the fire with the damn thing. Nobody really knew how to use it. And just, you're just hoping like, like, fuck, what was that? Yeah. And there's all kinds of shit. Yeah. There's all kinds of shit all over the place. Uh, just pieces of metal and anything sets the damn thing off. And it's, uh, it's very fucking nerve wracking. I mean, what other job occupation would you ever do this? That's why like, that's why I was, reiterating how critical this was and how like it's a stressful thing to be doing especially yeah. in afghanistan like you said dirty afghanistan where there's you guys are uh in uh kandahar where there's fucking trash everywhere it's like a dump yeah now it, go ahead it's crazy no you good oh, okay now ryan when you're going on that patrol that day was there anything that had hit you or like did you have any kind of inkling that hey today my i'm like fucking get hurt no so it was crazy um every day every you know before every mission or whatever i'd call my wife it was like six o'clock um in the morning i call her and i was like hey you know we're getting ready to go out no big deal short easy mission i'll be back whenever you know we get uh i'll call you whenever we get back or whatever she's like okay cool um i told i was like just kiss my son or you know tell Tell him dad loves him because I found out right before I left that I was having a baby boy. And so it was like, cool thing, like first child, having a boy kind of thing, you know, yeah. man shit. And uh, I didn't have any like weird feelings. Like it was just normal patrol. But as we're coming back, my team leader stopped me and goes, Mac, like something doesn't fucking feel right. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like we're literally 100 meters away. Like I see our compound. Let's just get home. Like this has been longer than we should have been out here. Let's just call it and get out of here and he's like okay let's go let's you know continue movement or whatever because i was i was number five um no yeah i was number five in the line that day and so six was obviously team lead and he was like yeah let's just get out here let's just finish it because we just crossed over what we called the trail of tears when we did i wasn't a part of it but whenever you know our first arm came in for the you know initial handoff or whatever they walked through and and we took a lot of casualties right off like the very first week that we were there. Um, there was, I think like five or six people got hit pretty, pretty hard. And so it was just like, we just crossed over it and everybody wasn't like, I didn't know anything about it. Cause I was just, I was new like two months after all that happened. And so I didn't even know. And then he's like, oh, I just don't like it. Let's just, let's just get out of here. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's go. And yeah, came across a dual canal, um, you know, one through four. So one and two, um was our our you know minesweeper and our our um assistant or whatever and he crossed and then we had two ANAs on the patrol with us and they crossed nothing i jumped across and followed like i found um patty's boot print and i went you know basically where he went jumped across the first canal took the next step 
and then I woke up and I was 10 feet in the air, came down, hit my head, um, fell into a ditch. It was dry season. It was in December. Um, and so there wasn't anything like any water or anything like that hit my head. Didn't know what was going on. Didn't know that I was injured. I just knew something was fucked up. And then I started crawling out and I went to stand up and I didn't have an ankle essentially. And so like my fib tib, like wasn't really connected to anything. So I went to stand and I basically lawn darted myself. Then my team lead came and tackled me and, um, immediately started rendering aid, like pulled off, you know, my gear, stripped my pants put the tourniquet on and then my platoon sergeant was actually on the mission that day. And he came up and they started calling up my nine line. The medic jumped in and, you know, it was like over in like whatever I thought was like five minutes, but I was the biggest thing that I remember. It was just like laying there in the dirt, still not even realized that I like what had happened. And I was like, I'm supposed to be a dad. I'm supposed to be a dad. Um, and that like, it just, I think that's when it really sank in. Like, shit just went crazy and and so i just laying there and like i'm supposed to be dead fully coherent fully there like unloading my magazines like it was just crazy and then underneath so i stepped on a russian landmine and underneath it it was daisy chained and so like all the wires were still exposed was another jug of homemade explosives underneath it and so whenever from what i was told is whenever detonated it like covered and went through the wiring and they kinked the line because they used the surgical tube packed with ammonium nitrate and they they tied it in like a, a regular knot and it kinked the line and so it didn't burn into the um, jug and then eod whenever they came to to blow the leftover or whatever the jug was completely like covered in shrapnel and they have no idea how it didn't explode if it was like just junk ammonium nitrate or they screwed something up, but it didn't blow. So, I mean, I'm happy. Yeah. You would have been dead. Yeah. Like it, it is what it is. Yeah. I lost my leg, you know, whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm super thankful. Nobody else was hurt. Nobody else sustained any injuries or anything along those lines. And I lost, you know, the, the lower third of my leg or lower half of my leg, if you will, below the knee. And, I went on to, to run track and field Paralympically. I shoot a bow, you know, on the Paralympic level now and like compete at that level. So I don't really, I don't know. I held grudges for a little while. Like, um, the guy that was in charge of the movement that day, like I was super pissed off for the longest time. Like, cause I know one, he was a little bit complacent where he, he took us cause it was a dual, like, it was a dual canal, but it had like pricky vines on both sides mm-hmm. and it was like V cut perfect. Like you don't go through it. Like the hardest route is where you go. You don't go through the easy stuff. Yeah. It sucks, but you should always like the road less traveled essentially. And so like that pissed me off. And like looking back, like he was kind of complacent on his, you know, his minesweeper like technique and, and it, he got there just the same time that I did. And so can't fault him. And then like, I forgiven him or, you know, whatever. I don't really care. I'm happy everybody made it home and, and nobody died or whatever. So it is what it is. Now, during this whole time when you're laying in the dirt and you're th- like, it's going through your head about that you're supposed to be a dad. Did the pain ever kick in? No, I was never in like pain. Like I, I knew it hurt. And like, I don't know, it's something that I've always been okay with is like, I've always known pain, like I can deal with it. And it never really like, fully affected me um 
I don't remember when I got my morphine or, or any of that stuff. Um, I assume it was pretty early on, but I honestly, the most pain that I was in was actually my left, like my left big toe felt like I got hit with a baseball bat. Everything else was fine. Like my right leg was the one that got injured, but my left leg, it, it felt like I got, you know, like a sledgehammer dropped on it or something. But other than that, like it wasn't anything crazy. Man, that's, that's, uh, that's crazy. And that's like the fact that it happened so early on into your deployment and such a devastating injury for you to sustain. Now, after I know they, they fixed you up, patched you up, put you on a bird. What was the process like from there? I know, I know eventually you probably went to Longstuhl, right? In Germany. Yeah. So, um, right away I went to Kandahar, um, and had my leg amputated same day, um, was awarded my Purple Heart in my hospital bed. My actual squad was with me because um, they were in Kandahar for their R&R. And so they found out that I got injured and they came in, like brought me a hoodie. Um, and then like they were there for my Purple Heart and shit. And so like I remember because in Kandahar, they, they had these glass windows from like the, the hospital beds. And then like there was a hallway and I saw everybody like walk in and I ripped out my IV and I jumped up and I started hopping out the door. And so I went and hung out with my guys like outside the door and then the Navy nurse was just livid. Like she was ripping into me and I was just like, I'm fine. Like I was bleeding on my arm and like all sorts of dumb shit. I was like, I'm good. Like I'm with my boys kind of deal. Um, and so, yeah, like I went from there and then I went to Bagram and had, a, I think I had another surgery there for like clean out purposes. Um, and then I went to Germany and Super, super amazing Navy nurses there, but they took amazing care. And there was uh, two other guys that were from Germany, I think. And they uh, they got hit with a suicide vest um, from a kid with ball bearings. And so, like, they were pretty messed up. Uh, but the Navy nurses were super cool. And they, like, they got me whatever I wanted. They got me a Burger King one day. They let me actually, like, leave in, a, like, a, a wheelchair. And in Germany, in Watchville, there's, like, this steep incline and you know how wheelchairs get like death wobbles i fell out of my wheelchair in the hospital oh shit fucking speed I, like, wobbles I the, yeah i got the speed wobbles and it fell out and then they actually so when i was in airborne school restrepo came out and one of my black hats was actually um his sergeant uh buno was actually in restrepo and he was my black hat and so i asked actually asked them they bought me restrepo and i watched it in the hospital bed like I don't know, three days after I'd been blown up and like went through all this bullshit. I'm sitting there watching Restrepo and they're like freaking out. They're like, what, what is wrong with this dude? Like, why is he watching this dude, shit? That was the How's shit. He it? I, was like, I was like, man, this is like, yeah, I'm in it again. Like, yeah. I loved it. I yeah. loved every second of it. And now, Ryan, but, what, what was it like for you that, to back up? Sorry, third time I fucking said that. No, you're good. Um, for you to wake up that next day when you, you know, when you wake up and you don't know what the fuck's going on and then reality hit you, what was your initial thoughts? Like, fuck, I'm grateful I'm still alive. Or what was going through your head when you first woke up the next day? I still, I just, it was the same day that I woke up. Um, I still didn't even know that I was missing my leg. Like nobody told me. Um, I actually ended up like pulling my blanket away and seeing just like this massive ball of bandage. And I was like, what the fuck? Like I didn't have toes. And I was like freaking out nurse came in and talked to me and like told me what everything was going on i was like well fuck i need to call my wife like i didn't even tell her that i was back from my mission or whatever and so i actually called my wife and told her everything and told her that i lost my leg stepped on a landmine same day like right after um what was that like that conversation oh dude it was 
terrifying. Like the, the person that is supposed to be by your side and like, you're supposed to be on their team and like by their side for the rest of your life. And like, you don't ever expect anything like severe to happen. And so to like kind of explain it to her and just like try and like one comfort her, even though like I'm still processing it in my own mind, like, fuck, I just lost my leg. But like trying to get her to calm down and, and be able to, you know, talk to my brother and my dad and my other brother. And then I told her like, I'll call my mom. I'll have to deal with that one because my parents are separated or whatever. Yeah. And that's the one person I knew she couldn't handle the conversation with because I had a long conversation with my mom before I left about like if I ever got hurt or whatever. Um, and so I had to do that conversation too. But the wife, like it was so difficult because I had to one comforter and two like explain everything, even though like I was so new into it and like I didn't understand everything that was going on or where I was going. And dude, it was hard. Like I was just, I was a fucking wreck because I didn't know, like I didn't know what to say and like, hearing her get emotional made me more emotional i was like but i lost my leg i should be the emotional one right now <laughs> but you gotta but be like, hard ass i kept my, yeah like i kept my cool and i was like you know it'll be fine like i'm okay like i'm fine i like i'm alive so i was like i was calm and collected about it and i was thankful that i was alive you know because i have a kid on the way and i gotta go home and see my, my wife and my son be born and all that kind of stuff and so it was difficult but at the same time like I was alive so I couldn't like really be like super upset about anything I guess yeah and especially in hindsight knowing how that what could have happened with that secondary I mean that could yeah, have I didn't fucking, even know any of that yeah at that point that was once I got uh stateside into San Antonio um I talked to my team lead Johnny um and he was like yeah man it was crazy and like I remember trying to ask him to take pictures because I had like right on my rig, I had my camera and I was like, bro, take some pictures. Like get my camera and I want to see it. And he's like, no, no, you don't want to see it. It's nasty. I was like, oh, come on. He's like, no, you can't see it. Fucking so I, was, I was mad at that, but like, I wanted to see it. Yeah. He's like, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like, Hey, look, I stepped on a landmine or a bomb. Essentially. Like I tell kids that like, I, I stepped on a bomb. I wouldn't show them those pictures, but yeah, you know, he wouldn't take pictures. I was a little mad. <laughs> Now, how was the recovery process for you? I know this is quite a um, an extensive recovery process, right? Um, so I always say that I like I'm just different. Like I'm just like in my head, I'm just different. Um, so I got into, into germ or into FAMSI, and I met with the doctors and my brother, my two brothers, and my dad were there, and my wife. And this his name was Doc Marin, and he was in charge of the center for the intrepid, and he was like, you know. This is going to be a long recovery. It's going to take you some time. Don't expect anything, you know, to happen crazy fast. Um, and I was like, you just like, no, I'm going to be running. Like I'm trying to go back to my guys. Like I want to finish. Cause I was still in my head. I was still thinking about gel run. Like yeah. I was wanting to lead my team into gel run. And like, that was my mission still. Like it, for whatever reason, like I obviously it was gone. Like that wasn't going to happen, but um, I wanted to go back. And so I was like, I just want to get on my feet as fast as I can, like whatever it takes, whatever. And so I was injured January, uh, December 8, 2010, January 20th, 2011. I received my first prosthetic. I got to take it home that weekend. And then the therapist actually took it back from me because I was going too hard. She like, she wasn't allowed to give it to me technically. Mm -hmm. and so I stole it. And so I went home, like walked a bunch that weekend and like tore up my stump and like all sorts of crazy stuff. 
But then two weeks later, I got my running prosthetic. And so two months after stepping on a landmine, I was running back to like impeccable shape, like trying to go back to Afghanistan. (laughs) And they're like, no, like it's not going to happen. And I was like, what do you mean it's not going to happen? Like, that's that's what I I told you I was going to do. And he's like, yeah, you told me that. I didn't expect it to happen anywhere near that fast. Uh, And so like I had some of the guys that were injured before me still hadn't had their prosthetic or like walking or any of that. I didn't use crutches. I, I hated being in a wheelchair. My wife was pregnant at the time. And so like having my wife push me around in a wheelchair, like it drove me insane. And so that was like my biggest motivation is just getting back on my feet because one, I had my wife and two, my son was on the way and three, I was trying to go back to Afghanistan. Yeah. It's so uh, it's they didn't a, let me. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a wild thing, man. How all of us in a heartbeat, uh, you ask any one of us, I've had a guy that got shot in the head and he got really fucked up from it. And I asked him, I said, knowing what you know now and how your life turned out is that, would you go back? He's like, absolutely. I mean, it's a wild thing. And especially I can't imagine being like for you in your position where you're laid up in hospital, better recovering for your injuries and your guys are like downrange. And then you had like big hopes to lead them. And that was taken from you. Yeah. It's uh, like, it was, it was definitely hard and I was pissed off or whatever, but at the end of the day, so yeah, I ran, like I said, I ran two months later. Um, so January, February, I guess. Um, and then my son was born in April. What was that like? It was just like a world, man, it was, it was awesome. Like I was so excited to be a dad. Like that's what I'd always, like my dad was my coach growing up. Like he taught me everything, Mm. you know? And so for me to get that opportunity and like, I was worried because I was like freaking out. Like, what is my son going to think of me? Like, how is he going to see, see his dad with one leg or how am I going to coach him to play soccer or play football or any of those things? And then like it freaked me out. And so I've always lived my life as if nothing's changed. Right. So like I coach my son, I coach my daughter, like I play soccer with him. I play baseball. I played softball. Like I do everything the same that I did it before, like same high intensity, same everything because mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow my amputation change who I, I am. Um, and so I've always above and beyond. So I, I did a long stand of playing like wheelchair basketball, you know, when I, in my recovery process or whatever. And then I was like, fuck this. Like I'll use a wheelchair when I'm old. Like when I actually need one, like I don't need one right now. I'm going to use my leg as much as I can. Nothing against, you know, somebody that needs a wheelchair or somebody that wants to use a wheelchair or whatever. I just wasn't in my personality. You know, it was, I always wanted to be on my two feet and, you know, able to look somebody in the eye and shake their hand and like just normal stuff. And there was no other like option for me. It was always, I'm on my own feet and I'm always going to be on my own feet kind of thing. Now, when your guys came back, um, were, or, or actually when they're during the recovery process, how long was it before you were actually fit to go back to active duty, go back to your, your unit or your company um so when i went through the recovery they put me in the wtu the warrior transition units down in san antonio um and i was i was right back to you know being in charge of things and and that kind of thing they did a lot of um adaptive sports at that time and so that was like my entire job when i was there um so one i think it was a, a full year I was approved for co-ed. So I went through my med board and they're like, well, here, here's 40%. So 
you lost your leg. Here's 40%. You can get out now and just be done. And I was like, 40%. Yeah, bro. 40%. 40% is your, is an amputation of your ro- your lower leg. <laughs> Dude, there's so people that go to like seven... fucking Kuwait and get fucking more than that. Yeah. And so I was in for seven months at this point. The time that I was injured, I was in for seven months and I was like, my brother did 15 months in Fallujah. Like, I'm not done. Like, I, I, I just can't be done. Like, I'm 22 years old. I have a wife and a kid. Like, there's no way I'm just going to accept 40% defeat in my eyes of barely being in the Army for a little over a year at the point of med board and, and you know, evaluations and all that kind of stuff to be out of the military a year later and just be done. I was like, yeah. No, like there's no way I can't do that. And so I fought for co-ed um, and it was approved. So that co-ed is continuation on active duty. Um, I wasn't allowed to go back to infantry. Um, I could have, but I had such an opportunity with adaptive sports that I didn't see the necessity. And all my guys were like, bro, you're killing it. Like I, I did. I don't know if you know about like warrior games and Invictus yeah. games and all that kind of stuff. And so, I was, I was killing it. Like I had a platform again that, you know, was outstanding. And my football coach, I'm still really close with him to this day, but he was like, you know, Mac, you were an okay, you know, athlete in high school, you know, in high, you, when you were on the team or whatever, but now you're fucking awesome. Like you're just out there killing it. And I was like, ah, this is fun. Like the first time I raced a hundred back in high school, I was running, you know, mid 11s, low 11s, you know, 10, you know, high 10s kind of thing. And my first one was like a 14 second with a, with a prosthetic. And I was like, no fucking way. Think this is terrible. Like I was pissed. Mm-hmm. Like I felt slow. I felt like a fat body, like running down the track, like trying my way to victory or whatever. Everybody's like, Oh, it's so amazing. So amazing. I was like, no, like, that was terrible. Like <laughs> never, you know, never happy with what it was. And so that's what started it. And so I, I did the Paralympic thing. Um, and ran really, really well, had good times. Um, I just, I couldn't ever put everything together. And so come to find out when I took my leg in the very beginning, I went to a, a camp. It was, um, a Paralympic experience camp in Rhode Island. And I, it was in a Navy, you know, facility and they came and like cleaned all the bathrooms. And so me always wanting to be on my own two feet and like my own thing, like I wouldn't use a shower chair because I thought it was like, I just didn't like it. I, it's like sitting down to pee. Like I just can't do it. Like it was weird to me. And so I stood up, but they cleaned the shower that day and it was a tub. I slipped and I pile drove my stump right into the, the shower and they're like all porcelain showers. And I, you know, did a, I had a like stress fracture across my tibia and they're like, okay, well, so I used crutches for a day and then I shoved my socket back on and I went through the airport and like walked the entire way come to find out I had two bone spurs growing out of the side. And so I had to get my leg reamputated like two years later and start over. And then I had my daughter. And so my biggest thing was I'm going to walk before my daughter can walk because my daughter was a little bit older. She'd already been born, but she wasn't walking yet. So like, I was like, I'm going to walk before my daughter walks. So I beat her in that race. And then it was just like, I just couldn't, I was 25 at the time and I just was losing a step and it was just too much too, too late essentially. So I ended up stop running. Now what took the place of, of running for you? 
So I went back to the Army World Class Athlete Program, um, and I was in charge of the Paralympic advisory, essentially. And so, like, my job was to try, try and find other athletes like myself that had been through injuries um, that qualified for the Paralympics to come to the team and, and try and, you know, display their um, endeavors. And so I did that for a little bit, and then my buddy – who made the 2016 Paralympic team for archery? He was like, "Yo, you could uh, you could come shoot a bow with me. You could get fat. It's easy." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> sure, cool. Like, why not?" So I picked up a bow and started shooting. Um, then I w- was doing really well, and then um, I w- was ninth in the nation, and so that happened. And then COVID happened, and so it's just like put this giant wrinkle into a system. And so I was in Colorado Springs, and then I had to move to Salt Lake, and. It just hasn't been going the way that I wanted it to. So I'm actually going through my med board right now. Now, what are your plans for post uh, military life? Oof. I like, I always think about this and everybody's like, what are you going to do, Ryan? What are you going to do, Max? I'm like, look, I feel like I'm still 17 years old. And like, I don't know what I want to do. Like I, it's the whole reason I joined the military is because that's what I knew I wanted to do was be in the military. And so I don't know. I've thought about trade schools um, a lot more than anything. The, the explosion rattled my brain pretty good. Um, so like college, like book learning, just like it doesn't work for me as much as it used to. Um, and so I'm more hands-on now. Um, so trade school is probably the route that I'm going to take depending on um, ratings and all that kind of stuff and, and see where those numbers kind of fall. Dude, they better give you a um, fucking 100%, dude. I'll be so <laughs> pissed because you know how many fucking dirt bikes I know that are 100%? They didn't do shit. <laughs> I know. I hear that all the time. And my buddies are like, what are you talking about? You don't, you're not going to get a hundred percent. So I did like that whole time. I I did a year and a half in the WT. I was running the S3 shop and, and doing ceremonies, purple hearts and, and memorials and, and stuff along those lines. And I'd get dudes that would like, they were in Iraq and they were wrestling in the barracks and he got a ankle lock and his, he broke his ankle and then he had drop foot and then he had his leg amputated non-combat injury, but it was overseas and he got 100%. I was like, what the, what the fuck? Yep, that's like how it I, goes. I stepped on a goddamn <laughs> landmine. I get, here's, here's your little chump chain for your little stump. Oh, my God. I was like, it blew my mind. And so, like, for a long time, like, I was so pissed off. And I was like, this is fucking bullshit. But, like, the way that the military works, like, they use the shit out of you for so long. And then they give you, you know, pennies on the dollar, essentially. And so... I was like so proud of myself. Like, I'm not going to use the system. I'm not going to use the system. And like, I still not going to use the system. If they give me hundred percent great, if they don't fine, like I got two, you know, pretty good legs and I can still work. And so I'm thankful for that. And I'll just take it day by day and see what it, you know, what it gives me. I still think you should, uh, you're more than, I mean, it's fucking nothing to, as far as like how much money this country earns is jack shit. I mean, your injury yeah. was life changing, uh, not very much so because you're a fucking savage, but it's, it is for other people that is some guys fucking kill themselves yeah. for injuries like that, or it, it, yeah. it fucks their whole life up where they can't work. Nope. They don't, they they get down on their luck and just compiles. And so I, I think you're completely justified in, and if you do want to go that route, I suggest you do because you're more than fucking like yeah. You deserve that money, man. I swear to God, you you deserve it. You and yeah. a lot of shit comes with that that disability <clears throat> rating. Um, yeah, I, I, just, I mean, I, I know I'll be above the thirty percent, so yeah. like tax and I'll be combat related and all those things. And like, 
Well, that's the thing that like, I guess frustrates me the most is some of the entitlement that comes from people's service. They think, Oh, well, I serve this country, so I'm entitled. And I'm not saying that you're not entitled to certain things, but it's like, I saw the ugly side of it down in San Antonio of some of the people that hadn't done anything. And they're like, well, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And you're like, and so it like, it's a fine line and it's so hard because I'm not discounting anybody for what they've done or discounting anything for, you know, going and getting what people are trying to give them nonprofits or, or whatever, because they're out there for a reason. But it's just like, uh, it, it hurts me because I'm like, one, I don't want to be entitled because I knew what I signed up for. I signed up in 2010. I knew there was a war going on. I knew where I was headed. I opted to go downrange as fast as I fucking could because I knew what I wanted. Like I knew yeah. that's the experience that I wanted. If I was going to go to ranger school and be successful, like I wanted to know how to lead troops first and then get the ranger leadership development skills to, you know, supplement what I'd already learned overseas. And so it was like, I chose 100% of my fate. There are things that I can say, oh, it could have been different this way or that way, but it's not going to change anything. It's not going to change my outcome. It's not going to change that I lost my leg. And so I like, it's, it's a fine line that I walk because, you know, there's like a program like homes for our troops or Gary Sneeze foundation that build these amazing houses for people with, you know, disabilities and, and amputations and all those things. And I, I totally qualify for them, but I'm like, is there somebody that deserves it more than yeah, me? Yeah. So like, I don't, I don't put in for some of those things. Like they're like, Oh, well you qualify for a segue for when I was down in San Antonio. And I was like, so I, I signed up for it. And then I was like, I thought about it. And I was like, somebody actually like with two amputations or, you know, like something a little more severe than me that doesn't have the balance or, or the capabilities that I do deserves it. Like, so I opted to give it to somebody else. The next person in line got it. And I didn't, care i didn't feel bad about it i don't like i don't need a segue i would just collect dust in my garage because i'd rather be riding a bike or walking or running with my kids yeah and so it's it's hard for me because i do qualify for so many things but at the same time like i don't like to use them all the time because i'm like you know i'm a strong individual i you know i knew what i signed up for and this is what i got so guess what deal with it kind of thing you know yeah i totally get it uh that's kind of all around mindsets you have to have that that warrior mentality, especially like you said, we knew what we were signing up for. When you go down range, I mean, uh, yours was best case scenario because you could have fucking the other side of that coin would have been that secondary went off and you're dead. So it's yeah for you, and you, you see that, and you're a good sport about the whole the whole thing. Um, and I'm sure you've seen the ugly side of of this where guys don't recover mentally from these injuries sustained, and they just fucking go into a dark hole and just get become overcome with uh depression yeah no 100 i the guy so the guy that taught me how to use the hide in afghanistan his name was uh mills pfc mills um he wasn't injured um like severe injury he obviously dealt with some shit because he saw everybody else get injured and, and all the things that went on overseas but yeah he, he ended up committing suicide shortly after we all came back I'm like just dealing with it and like i've lost some good friends, you know, to suicide. And it, it just, it's so frustrating and so hard because yes, I have a very strong attitude, but at the same time, like I've dealt with it. Like I laid on the, my bedroom floor during the COVID and all the bullshit 
like not being able to do anything and see anybody like it, it fucking messed me up mentally. And so that's obviously what started most of the med board stuff is because I just couldn't fucking deal with shit anymore. But like, I am a very strong individual, but at the same time, like everybody deals with their mental, you know, deficiencies or insecurities or, or the stress that we've been put through. And like, it affects everybody different. And it's yeah. so frustrating. I'm like, how can we, you know, make that better? And how can we, you know, we can say it till we're blue in the face. Like I'll always be there for you. Just call me. But we have created such a strong mentality in ourselves that, well, I don't need help and I can do this on my, my own. And I don't want to be a burden on anybody that that's our downfall. It's always going to be our downfall is we don't understand how to ask for help and when we actually need to. And it's, it's so frustrating. And it's like, I know the military is getting better on their, you know, if you have problems, ask for it. And, but it's still going to affect you in your career because I got an evaluation the other day and it was something along the lines of, um, just dealing with mental toughness or whatever. And it's, it's still prevalent. If you ask for help, like it's going to affect you. And it's so frustrating that it's so looked down upon because, we're put in the worst fucking positions in our entire lives. And anybody that like sees the shit that we see as an infantryman, especially as an infantryman, you're the fucking, fucking, there's no more dangerous job. (laughs) It's going to fuck with you. Like you could be the strongest dude in the world, but like, it's still going to mess you up mentally. Like you could say it and you could be the most, you know, squared away individual in the entire world. It is going to mess with you because at the end of the day, you're a human being and you still have feelings. Like you can shut them off all you want, but deep down it's going to affect you. Whether it's, in your relationship with your, you know, significant other or your children or, you know, just people in public, like it's still going to fuck you up. Like it just does. Yeah. You're never going to come, come back and be the same as when you left. Yeah, absolutely. And what I found, uh, especially doing this podcast is the PTSD side of things, the, um, kind of the reflection and how close you came to death and all these things don't happen until post-military when you're out and a few years down the line. I've had a lot of friends call me like, and it fucking hits them like a ton of bricks. Because when you're in, you're around these high tempo guys and that there's no time to think about the bullshit. There's no time to feel sorry for yourself because you're in a fucking uniform. You're proud wearing the uniform. You're around other guys that are wearing the uniform. It doesn't hit you so hard. But when you ETS and go into the civilian sector and then you're, you feel fucking weird because your buddies that you're talking to don't share the same experiences. Nobody does. It is fucking rare, man. To find, especially like another infantryman, rare, super rare. So th- I feel like that's when things start to to hit people extremely hard, and that they're like, "Fuck, man, I'm I'm alone. I feel weird because nobody else has these experience these experiences, which are they are weird. They're these aren't normal experiences by any means. People aren't supposed yeah. to be hunt, hunting other fucking people or being hunted themselves. It's a it's a crazy experience, and then let alone doing that shit and then going like a fucking uh, drop of a hat right back stateside to the safest country in the earth on earth. It's a wild, wild experience. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And I think that's what hit me the most is like during COVID one, because I'm like, I'm in a small community because the unit that I'm in, I'm a remote soldier. So like I don't have anybody around me as far as military really. And so one being away from everybody, like you said, and two, like not being able to go see anybody or like, you know, explore or do any of those things. 
it just and like facial features for me like whenever the mask thing happened like it messed me up because overseas like that's what you relied on like being able to read pe- people's faces and like you could see the like anger that they held inside for you and so like yeah like you could read that right here yeah. on their face and so like going out in public like it messed me up for a while because like i couldn't see that you can only see eyes and like man there's there's so much hidden behind that mask and it really, really fucked with me yeah no well uh, what kind of things do you do to to remedy that what kind of like what do you do if you feel like some angst coming on or anger building up what kind of things do you do to relieve it man i so shooting my bow really helps um just because it's it's like all internal and so it's like 100 percent focusing on your mind um really so i've honestly during COVID, i've been finishing my basement and so like just going down and swinging a fucking hammer man it really just kind of numbs the mind a little bit i'm, I'm kind of like a busy body um so i'm always moving always doing something always tinkering on something mm. never never stopping really is like the thing that i guess keeps me going um playing video games with um uh, the guy that saved my life my my team leader that day mm-hmm. um still talk to him pretty much once a week once twice a week um uh, just a good dude i just stay 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 relevant with your friends and and your close you know team members or whatever really helps me yeah now before i forget you went back to afghanistan you said in 2013 how the fuck did that happen yeah so it was uh <laughs> it was a non-profit it was all it was called um <clears throat> operation proper exit and so you the whole thing came around that you were able to leave the country on your own terms right so yeah. like you weren't forced out you weren't medevaced out you could walk on the bird on your own two feet and and do it on your own essentially. And so, um, I went back for like a week and I did a tour. Um, I did Bagram and Kandahar, um, pretty much all the, the main hubs, Camp Leatherneck. And we just did like a, it was kind of like a USO tour. Like we went and like talked and, and celebrated and saw like the hospitals and some of that kind of stuff. And so like it was cool because I got to go back to Kandahar and like remember all the scenes that I went through like in the, you know, the ER or whatever. And, and like in Kandahar, there's like the the fluorescent lights have like skies on them, so like it looks like the sky. And so like I I actually there's a picture of me laying down on the floor staring up at the ceiling because that was like one of the most vivid memories that I had was that ceiling because I fought with a nurse over my wedding ring like in that ER like waiting area. And so doing stuff like that, and then like I got all my original X-ray images, so like I got to take a picture it was like it was three years later and they still had all my records on the you know the hard drives or whatever over there so i got to take pictures and like see some of that kind of stuff so it was really cool i wish it was more in like got to carry a gun and like oh, of course on patrol <laughs> kind of bullshit but yeah, put me in coach. Like, they didn't even let us carry guns we had to have like full armor on and everything but we couldn't carry a gun and like so, a fucking un guy it, <laughs> yeah it was it was stupid luckily i was still active so like i had all the, the new gear and and whatnot but everybody else because a lot of them were out and it was like, so my PL was there and then two of our other Joes were there. Um, and they were all out at that time. So they were like, they had like their ACU stuff and with their, you know, multi-cam on and it looked all goofy. And so it was, it was like a UN thing. So it was, it was interesting, but it was fun. Like it was a blast. Like we got to take, you know, some Chinooks and, and kind of go see where the cop, you know, that we 
you know, patrolled and see some of the area and, and see how they change the area and the environment. And basically our sacrifice wasn't for nothing kind of thing. Like they talked about what had changed from, you know, that time to now. And I was like, well, yeah, Kandahar is not as you know dangerous as it was. And it was also three years later and some of that kind of stuff. And so they actually, our cop wasn't even a U.S. cop anymore that the uh, A&A took it over. And so it was kind of weird, but. What was it? Did you feel like it was uh, therapeutic? And did you feel like you were actually leaving that country on your own free will? And do you think that you got everything out of that trip that was for you? Yeah. So, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I got to go back with some of the guys that like I'd recovered with. And so that was really cool. And like, I guess get peace of mind. And, and for me, it was just, I wanted to go back like Afghanistan, like that, being an infantry guy, that's like where you live life is like at war. Like it's so not we do our job in. Yeah. Like that's what people don't understand. They're like, Oh, well, infantry is so easy. Like you're in the field all the time and training, but like, that's not, that's not your job. Yeah. And so, um, it was, it was super frustrating and, but going back, like I got to go back and see the you know, environment and, and see kind of some of that stuff. It was funny. I actually ran into my platoon sergeant, um, that was now a first sergeant and he was back in Kandahar at the time. Nobody liked him. He was the biggest douchebag that we ever met. He actually like during one of our patrols, he ended up like telling one of the minesweepers that there wasn't a mine there and stomping on the ground that he was probing like right in his fucking face. Like, the dude shouldn't have been in the military anymore, like ever. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was like, it pissed me off to see him. And he was like, Oh, Hey, like trying to talk to everybody. We're like, fuck off. Like I was the only one still active. And like, I was at the time, I think I was a E five and he was a first sergeant. And he's like, Oh, you know, Sergeant Mackinson was like, you can go the fuck away from me. And he's like, excuse me. I said, I don't fucking care who you are or what your rank is. You can fuck off. And he was like all pissed off and like sad faced, but. I, we were with like a sergeant major and like a, you know, general and stuff. And so like nobody really fucked with us, but yeah, that's crazy, man. That's that they offer that for you to go back and go revisit that place. Did you feel like it was uh, traumatic at any point for you to, or like overwhelming? I think just like in the hospital, like where I actually like woke up and some of those kind of things, like, uh, sorry, hold on. It's okay. My wife was calling me. Um, and so I think like that was probably the most frustrating or like traumatic, if you will. Um, but I was like, I was fine. Like I, I enjoyed it thoroughly seeing the environment, seeing like troops and like all that kind of things. It was just, I don't know. We did have, um, uh, there was a flight out with a couple of, um, KIAs. And so we got to see like that ceremony. That was my second ceremony on the tarmac that I got to see. The first one was like, as we were shipping out, I didn't have my leg or, or anything. And I actually got a stand for like one of the ceremonies. So that was really cool to see two of them, like actual tarmac ceremonies. Cool as in, um, like just the, how powerful that, that, you know, the it's, amount of respect that they yeah. receive. And like, that's the thing that frustrates me the most is everybody's like, Oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it tore me up because, Dude, like, that, that could have, yeah. that could have been me yeah. and I could have been on that exact flight in a casket rather than standing in front of one. Yeah. And so I think like, I think for me, it was like a full circle, you know, experience essentially. Yeah. It's those things are no joke, man. I saw one in Afghanistan as well on the tarmac and 
It is, uh, it's sobering. It fucking eats you. I'll never forget it. Like I can fucking paint you the picture. It's so vivid in my, in my mind. It's, and it's just like you said, it could be any of us because those people were us. They wore the same uniform or this did the walk the same ground as we walked and they just were less fortunate. And it's fucking yeah. wild. Now it's crazy to think, especially back for you, the turn of events, your life, like what happened to you? Like, imagine if you, and you're good. I'm saying you're, you're such a good sport about it that imagine if you would would have went to ranger school. Who knows what the fuck would have happened? Like you, I know it, it. It's it's always frustrating to me, and like because there's always that what if factor, right? And like I feel one like mentally, like fuck, man. Ranger school would have been nothing compared to stepping on a landmine, losing your leg, having your son be born, like all the shit that I've gone through. Like I could obviously handle ranger school. But at the same time, like, I feel like I went through my own, like, ranger school mentally, like, through what I've been through and, like, the, the second amputation and, and some of that kind of stuff. But, like, it, 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 it does eat me up because that's where I wanted to live my life. Like, I wanted to live my life overseas and, and leading troops and, and motivating and, and doing all that because I, I felt like I, that was something, a quality that I'd always had and, like, leading and and ex, you know excelling at that i never got the the chance if you will but you know my the, own, you know the silver lining in this thing that i see is that you have these qualities and this was like life slowing you down and saying like and you were fortunate enough to go see your son being born and yeah. you were fortunate enough to survive these things and who knows if you would have went to ranger school what if you would have went to fucking ranger bat and then went overseas and been k or been fucking worse and yeah, now you, or just not be there for my family. Like, exactly. That was, I was going to say that too. That's the thing that I look back about now is like, I'm like, I would, my wife tells me all the time, like, if you want to go back, you could have gone back. Like at any point in time, if you wanted to go, you know, back to the line, you could have. But at the end of the day, I'd been there once. I'd tested my luck. I didn't win that fucking battle. And I don't know if I really want to challenge it again. Like I still do dumb shit now. Like I had a motorcycle for a little bit and like, <laughs> I still test my my balance or whatever, yeah. but at the end of the day, like I'm super lucky, and I, like I always think, you know, if I would have gone to Ranger or Ranger Bat or any of those things, like it could have been different. I wouldn't have been a dad that I am now. Like I wouldn't no. be able to stay home with my kids. I wouldn't yeah. be able to teach my son the things that I've been able to teach him. And so I'm fully okay with the way that it turned out. And I would have been fine if it went the other way, but at the same time, like I can't change. I can't, you know, look at it that way. It is what it is. I deal with the, you know, the, the cards that I'm dealt and that's all I have. Yeah. But I, what I was saying is that that fire that you have inside of you, you <clears throat> go apply that in those, you said you want to be a leader, you want to lead. What if you start your own thing with, uh, you search a local area and find other, other guys that have been injured in war or just other combat vets, uh, with fucking mental injuries and, and with suffering from PTSD and, you can lead them that way. You can be that shining star because a lot of guys that come back and it fucks us up. Like I have no physical, visible injuries. It, it sucks for us because we're like, fuck, I'm okay. Like what the fuck am I being a bitch? Like, and that shit yeah. eats at people that if versus I, I could be like, fuck, if I just had an injury, I could be like, okay, I can attribute all this to this injury versus I'm fine. What the fuck am I bitching about type deal? Yeah. And so there's, um, I'm a, I'm an ambassador for a nonprofit. It's called Hero Sports. Um, it's something that I'm very passionate about is is athletics because it give it gave me so much in my recovery. It, it gave me a purpose again. It gave me 
all the things that I've always held near to myself is, is, you know, testing my abilities on and off the field, on the court, in the battlefield, whatever it may be. Like I've yeah. always pushed myself. And so I am an ambassador for hero sports. Um, and, and I love it and I'm very passionate about it. So they have a lot of softball teams. It's kind of like one of their bigger bread and butters. And so I still play, and I go to go out with a team and I play and, you know, it, it's super cool. And, and we do try and get bigger events and, and, you know, link up with people. And so I do a lot of it with, you know, the archery thing, um, as far as the team that I'm a part of. And it's a lot of, you know, military members and, and combat vets. And so that's really cool. And, and all the sports that I play. And, and so I do try and, and link out or link up with, you know, others. And I, I probably need to do a better job of it, but at the same time, it's like, I'm given the opportunity to spend a lot of time with my family too. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, it's hard to pick and choose cause it's, it is so hard. And so they're all my family. And and if anybody ever needs help or, or needs to reach out, like oh, I'm all ears. Like you can call me in at any time, any day. Like I'm just a genuine person. Like I will listen. I will care. Like I don't give a shit. If you've done no time overseas, if you just want to talk, cool, I'll be there and I'll help. I don't judge anybody because everybody thinks, oh, your life's so hard because you lost your leg. Guess what? There's somebody worse than me. And guess what? There's somebody that's better than me. Yeah. Like everybody, race, color, creed, religion, like I don't give a shit. You are challenged in your own right. And I can not, you know, walk a mile in your shoes, but I can give you my perspective and we can work together and we can come to terms and, and we can figure things out together. And I will always listen to you. I don't, I don't care who you are. I'm just a accepting of everybody and I don't judge anybody for their struggles or, or anything that they've gone through because we all have our own. Yeah. That's uh very well put Ryan. Now what, uh, if you had a magic wand and you had a dream occupation that you can just do, what would your dream job or dream be post military oh, when you're I out, would... when you're out? <laughs> so I, I'm a servant. Like that's like always kind of the way that I've leaned. And so I really wanted, like when I joined, I wanted to be a state trooper. I was like, Oh, I'm going to go have some fun, do the infantry thing, ranger thing. And then I'm going to be a, a state trooper in Colorado. That didn't happen. And my dad was a fire chief in Colorado for a long time. And so I've always thought about being a firefighter, but at the same time, like I have silicone on my leg. Like if I go into a fire and it burns and then it fries my fucking leg, I'm not going to have like, I don't want to, above the knee amputation because I know how shitty that is. And like, mm -hmm. that's another step that I don't want to deal with. And so if it weren't for how like skewed the, the world is or the United States is towards cops, I'd be a cop in a, in a day, like, or a teacher, but I don't want to go back to school. Like <laughs> one, I love like the, the child's ideals and all the things. And they just want to have fun and, and learn and be friends with everybody and I think we could take a lot from, you know, kids and I want to be a cop because like, I just genuinely like to serve and I like to be put in that situation where I can serve and I can help everybody or anybody. Like I said, I don't care, but that's kind of what I like. I've always wanted to do, but with the way of the world, like you can fuck up on the simplest thing or somebody else fucks up and then you get tied into it and that's you and your family. And like, I don't want to deal with that shit yeah. store, man. Yeah, it's it's uh, not a good time, and my hat is off to those guys that are doing that job right now. It's fucking hell yeah, it's a lose lose. No matter you're never the fucking winner in any situation yeah. you come in. You be the nicest guy, and somebody turns the camera on at that right moment, and you look like a complete fucking dick. 
exactly. And so I, it just, it baffles me. And so it, it's frustrating. So I, the perfect world. Yeah. I'd be a cop or a teacher or both. Very cool, man. That's, like I, that's awesome that you still want to serve that. That is like your calling to serve and, and help out people and, and do those things. I mean, that's just shows how you're raised and the qualities that, that you hold yourself to. And I mean, that was awesome, man. Your, your story is incredible. Your the stuff that you've been put through and then continue to overcome. And now you've never been, I've never once heard you say, poor me, or I went into a bout of depression or you did some crazy shit. You doubled down. You got this time with your family. You made the most of it. You're continuing to do that. And, um, what advice would you give to a veteran, um, going through a tough time, especially with COVID we're coming out of the, out of COVID right now. But what would your advice be to to them that are, are going through a tough time? Man, just it'll always be just ask for help. Like it is it is the hardest thing that you can ever possibly do is ask for help. But it is all, also the easiest thing. Like it's the easiest thing to just say, hey, Isaac, you know, like this has really helped me. But can you help me and and talk? But at the same time, it's the hardest thing to do to accept that you need that help mm-hmm. and genuinely accept it. I I say it's the easiest and the hardest thing at the same time because it is. It like genuinely, one, because we're such strong individuals that it just eats you up to accept that you need help from anybody. But it's the easiest thing to do is just ask for help because anybody's going to, like any one of us would help any person that asks at any point because I genuinely don't want to have another veteran suicide or hey come attend this veteran's funeral because he has no family and no friends to attend like that drives me insane because somewhere in some world there is somebody that wants to genuinely listen to you and will give you the time of day and if if you have to find me on Instagram or Facebook or whatever by all means, I'll give you my phone number and you can call me or text me at any point in time. I will genuinely listen with an open ear and an open perspective and help at any point because that's who I am. And my wife gets mad at me all the time because I pull over on the side of the highway. I like, I give away my shit if somebody needs it. Like there's a car on the side of the road. They were trying to use ratchet straps to tow a vehicle in the middle of a downpour. I just gave them my tow strap because they wouldn't let me tow them. But I genuinely care about a person. I don't care like what they've done. Like I genuinely just care that they are safe because that's how I was always raised. Like I'll give you the shirt off my back if you need it more than I do. I don't care. I will find another shirt. I'll find another pair of shoes. I'll buy another toe strap. I just genuinely care that you make it home safe and that like, or that you're alive and here for those people that do care about you. Yeah. I think that's the thing that, I would say, and I know that was probably longer than a, a no, short no. one, but ask, <laughs> ask for help. It, it, it is the hardest thing, but it's the easiest thing at yeah. the same time. Yeah. I mean, you, you it can, it's exactly spot on. It is like you said, it's hard and easy at the same time. Or, or you say like, it's, you said it's hard and easy or what'd you say? Yeah. It, it's the hardest and easiest yeah. thing that you yeah. can do. Cause it because, is hard. We're so fucking prideful. We don't want to do it because we don't want to be seen as weak. Yet it's so easy where you can just be like, hey, man, uh, I'm going through some shit. You got a minute? And all of us, because we're willing to die for one another, especially overseas, of course, we're going to fucking listen to one another. And chances are they're going yeah. through the same damn thing. Exactly. In their own word, in, in their own way, 
they're dealing with their own shit. And so like genuinely just ask for help. Yeah. Now, Ryan, before we sign out, uh, if somebody wanted to reach out to you uh, via Instagram, how would they go about doing so? Ooh, I think my Instagram is rmac1014, I believe, or the one leg champ or shoot, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. Let me tell you. you. I'll tag you in it. Let me tell you. <laughs> I'll tag Dude, you in I, the uh, I'm so bad. In the post. <laughs> It's RMAX 1014. Yeah, dude, I'm so bad. Like, like, I've done so many things. If you, honestly, if you just search Ryan McIntosh Army, like, fucking thousands of pages will come up Hell yeah. with me. So. Hell yeah. Well, Ryan, uh, thank you for coming on, man. appreciate uh, you coming on and sharing your story, and thank you for your service to our country. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. It was, a, it was an honor and a, a privilege. All right, Ryan. Take care, man. All right, bye. All right, bye. All right, but that wraps up today's episode with uh, Ryan McIntosh. Uh, definitely go give him a follow. I will tag him in the Instagram post. Uh, sorry, I've been kind of MIA, but I've had a lot of shit going on with uh, work. Been working like crazy, and it's extremely hard because I'm doing this. This is a sole project, and I try to do the best I can. And sometimes I might fall short, but I'm going to continue to push these out. Especially guys like Ryan need to have their stories told and from his mouth. And you got to hear exactly what he went through and. Just an absolute savage, good overall guy. I mean, like you said, give you the back off his shirt or the shirt of his back. Sorry, but uh, definitely go give him a follow if you have any kind of uh, questions or you're going through some shit. I'm sure he he said reach out and he'll listen. So thanks again for listening. Till next time, Castro out.